Welcome to The Healthy Beast. In this episode, I'm talking to Louis Blake, who runs a restaurant in Norwich called Erpingham House. This is a vegan restaurant. Norwich isn't a place I know very well, and vegan restaurants aren't places I know very well either. Louis is all about welcoming in the sinners, letting us see what it's like to possibly live a life without meat. So he, he forgives us. He was himself a meat eater once. Then he had some health problems, came to it for health reasons, and the ethical side came afterwards. I really hope you enjoy. Apologise for the sound quality. He sounds crystal clear. You can't hear me very well. Maybe that's a good thing. He does most of the talking anyway, but he's a really great guy to listen to. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, we're on. So, Louis Blake. Very good to meet you. We're here at Erpingham House in Norwich, which is your restaurant. Now, when I heard about it, I was immediately interested because it's a vegan restaurant, but I guess I had in my head ideas of what a vegan restaurant might be like, but you sound like you're doing it in a completely different way. Yeah, I think so. The intention's been to kind of transcend the stereotype of what veganism is, where it's very much you have to be vegan to go to a vegan restaurant, it's earthy, it's casual. And what we've done is flip that and try and create somewhere where you can dress up and come along. Uh, there's accessible food items, so there's foods that you'll recognise, with some that you won't. And make it very accessible for people that wish to give it a go. And at the same time, educate people on perhaps some different food choices they can make. Well, talking of different food choices, I've just had a sip of this CBD coffee. Yeah. Now, CBD's been talked about a lot in the press. I've had a bit of involvement with it as a supplement, but not as a drink. So how did you, well, I guess we should explain what it is in case anyone yeah. doesn't know. Yeah, so CBD is essentially the non-psychoactive component of the cannabis plant, or hemp plant. So non-psychoactive. Non-psychoactive, so you have two parts, one being THC, which is psychoactive, one being CBD, which is non-psychoactive. So the body has a cannabinoid system, which essentially regulates things like mood and various components of health. Plant CBD work with the body's receptors to essentially regulate mood and different bodily functions. I first came across CBD when it was recommended to me in the building process of this restaurant. As I said, we opened in January. It was a very big project and with it, lots of stress and anxiety. And I was finding myself having difficulty sleeping having spates of anxiety and I was aware of CBD but like many people that come in to the restaurant actually I didn't know the difference between cannabis and CBD and hemp and what all these words meant so I discovered you could buy it as a supplement as an oil and the way you would consume it is by putting a few drops under your tongue and I started supplementing it and I found that straight away my anxiety lessened I was able to work under pressure a lot easier and thought, you know, wow, this has been really impactful in my own life. How could we put it into the restaurant and make it easier for people to consume without having to buy a bottle? This anxiety aspect is interesting for me because I've used it for pain before. Yeah. That's what people, a lot of people talked about, but I'm not sure what studies there have been on its use for anxiety, but there's a lot of anecdotal Yeah, stuff. there's a number of uses, you know, from, as you said, chronic pain, you're quite right. It's being demonstrated that it potentially has the ability to resolve some chronic pain issues. But the studies are limited, as far as I'm aware, but at least from personal experience and from people that I've spoken to, I can testify to its benefits on my own anxiety. Really, that's great. So it helps you sleep as well? Helps you sleep. You know, I would get stress migraines, I call them, where really? I get very bad headaches, and I'd put a couple of drops under my tongue, and within 10, 15 minutes, that, that quickly, I'd find that they would go. 
And since then, it's been a case of me really wanting to look into why, what's the scientific uh, explanation for how this is working in my body, and how can I position it in such a way where people aren't scared of testing it out. For me, that's a case of buying a bottle. For other people, it can be quite expensive. So putting it in a coffee is a really easy way for us to make it available to people coming in every day for their usual latte. And you have like a simple markup for you? Simple markup, yeah, it's an extra pound for the drop. Very easy to put into to any cup of coffee. And we find it initiates a conversation with the customer. Now, What's the reaction been like generally? It's been mixed, it's been mixed. You know, we've had people that have, have come to us purely because they've heard of the, the CBD coffee and they'd like to try it. I mean, as you've probably realised, it's quite a distinctive taste, yeah. you can taste it. Yeah. yeah, we've had people come to us for that reason. People discover it while they're here. And it's been great to be able to engage people in conversation around it, you know, and uh, have people be quite inquisitive, which most people have been. You've had some people that have been quite scared of it. Mm. Again, like I said, as I was, you know, is it a drug? Is it cannabis? Am well, I going to get is. high? What's the effect going to be? Does anyone get high? No, no, no. Could, so I, I've heard people say they have. Those, I think they're those weird people that have got a particular sensitivity. Yeah, I think there's always the euphoric type effect or a potential placebo effect perhaps. But also it's true in my experience that you can get what feels like a high from simply an absence of pain. Yeah. And that may be the same sense. With Quite possibly, yeah. I'm not sure, but presumably if you're very anxious and then suddenly you're not yeah. anxious, that can feel a bit Yeah, like exactly. High. Yeah, I think, I think it's very easy to confuse the two for sure. Because I know they've been, but in the studies they've been careful to say that it doesn't take away all of the psychoactive effect. But I don't think it's the sort of thing people should be worried about. I think people seem to be growing up a bit with the debate. Well, I know when I wrote some things about it, there's a lot of sniggering, kind of, oh, they're still yeah. taking the cannabis, you know, people make jokes about it. But I think finally they're realising a huge range of potential therapeutic benefits. 100%, and I think it's been quite well documented recently as to the effects. As I said, I, I speak from personal experience. Um, for me, it's been great. It's something that we'd like to share with people that come into the cafe and the restaurant. And as such, it's in the coffees. We also sell it in the bottles as well. Mm -hmm. And we work with a local supplier. You don't produce it yourself? You're we don't produce it ourselves, no. We sell on behalf of a local supplier. Credible source, organic. It has you know, essentially two ingredients, which is the full plant extract and the hemp extract. And I think that's also where people may have bought some online and sampled it, and it had all these long list of ingredients, and they're getting very, very little CBD yeah. in their bottle. So it's always best to make sure you check the bottle and trace the ingredients and make sure you are actually getting what it says. Because you can buy it in high street shops now. Can't you can, yeah, think, you can. I'm not sure how good it is, the one you get. I've looked at the bottle in high street shops, and again, if you're looking at a bottle with six to ten ingredients on it, the chances are that it's not going to have the concentration required to feel any effect, yeah. which is a risk, of course. But where you can trace where they come from, they can give you the studies, etc. And it's important that they cover their backs as well, because people are, are looking to these companies as authorities and saying, you know, show us where it comes from show us what studies are around it, and they have to be able to provide the information so people know that it's safe to use. Does anyone come in here and have it as their regular coffee? Absolutely, yeah. Part of your day? Absolutely, yeah. We, we have people that come in, you know, near enough every morning and, and take it to go, and I think that's great. Rather than perhaps popping a pill, it's a natural solution to a problem that's previously solved by pharmaceutical. That's the real thing. I think it's the other side to it, because you've got these other cannabis-related or whatever they may be ways of tackling health problems and then you've got what you're getting to a great extent from your doctor. You know, no fault to them individually, but what you end up with is very often far, far worse than any kind of natural 
So I think anything that can at least make us think about not using those devices. And I think again, it's, it's looking at causation as well. So when I mentioned anxiety and go back to first coming across CBD and first hearing about it, I was someone who had a lot of anxiety, you know, which is a common theme, but also if I look at what perhaps induced that in the first place, it was when I was drinking too much, probably eating the wrong foods. So not only the effects are these symptoms, but what's causing them in the first place. And I very much believe that we become what we eat. If you ingest, you know, very natural, organic, whole foods, it's essentially your body recreates, uh, recreates itself from the energy in the foods that you eat. If you're ingesting these, you know, chemical, heavily processed items of food, then that's essentially going to manifest itself in your psyche and the way you think and the way your body works. So I think it's looking at both sides of it. It's not just treating this, the symptoms, but it's also going back to the root cause and looking at why we're experiencing anxiety, why we're experiencing depression, you know, why we're needing these solutions in the first place and tackling that head on, which is essentially why I, I, I took the plant-based route in the first place. Have you always thought about your health a lot? No, I, th I think when I was young I played a lot of sport and I, and I also worked in football so I was very heavily interested at a young age and I think with our culture you reach 18, 19 and your interest flips to wanting to go out and drink and you know th that's a culturally ingrained behaviour that we take up for many, many guys is this, this kind of party type lifestyle and uh, I was living in central London, I was working in the nightlife industry uh, and I prioritised going out and drinking and, and casual, convenient foods over looking after my body. And that's what led to taking an interest in whole foods was I reached the age of, of 24. I was running a company in the daytime. I was working still in nightlife in the evening and I completely burnt out. And I was drinking three, four days a week. I was eating out in restaurants nearly every day, grabbing fast food at lunch. And the way that played out for me was, I reached a point where I physically couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Extremely bad depression and anxiety. And I was a mess. And the way I pulled myself out of that mess was I did some research online. And I, I came across a plant-based diet and the, the, all the benefits of the plant-based diet. An author, an ultra athlete called Rich Roll, wrote a book about his journey from being an alcoholic to being a plant-based athlete and talked about the benefits on the body and the mind of eating whole food plant-based diet. And I said, you know, I'm going to give it a go for a month. And in that month, it changed my life. I was getting up earlier. I was exercising. I had more energy. My skin cleared up. I, anxiety uh, went away. I wasn't as sad for no reason as I had been. And after a month, I thought, you know, wow, I need to keep this up. So I literally went plant-based overnight, cut out all meat, all dairy, fish, eggs, uh, absolutely everything and then took a real interest in how this came about and why I was feeling like this and wanted to know the reasons behind it. So this is when you were 24, so how yeah. long ago? Yeah, it's four years ago, I'm 28 now, yeah. Okay, so and you never looked back? I never looked back. There's been times since where I've accidentally eaten something from abroad, and, but I know straight away. So I think after about six months, I was in Italy and I ate some pasta and it had cheese on it. And within about five minutes, my stomach had just bloated. Really? So I was never intolerant to dairy. And so, they understand like veganism in the same way on the continent. No, they don't. No, 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 they don't. I, you know, you can ask, but I don't think I've they. I've seen. I've travelled around Spain with a vegetarian friend, and they were going, "Hi, oh, vegetarian, have some sausage." Yeah, they, they, just, they, like, they would just go. They would just bring up the next dish. Yeah. Surely you eat this. Yeah. No, and I didn't even a, know what I didn't. in a pie. Exactly. Oh. I didn't know what veganism was at this point no. either. You know, and I think when I told people, it was very much, "You're a what?" 
are you going to start growing your hair and having dreadlocks and wearing hemp clothing and everything else? And when I looked around, there was nobody that I can necessarily relate to that was leading the way and that was a kind of a, someone to look to. Terrible that the judgments we make, because I have to admit, the first thing I thought when I saw your picture is he doesn't look like a vegan. Yeah, and like, I, get, I get it a lot. And then I thought, then I thought well, what's a vegan supposed to look like? And then I realised, just like everyone, you've got these yeah. stupid stereotypes in your head. Exactly. And I think it's the same that if we come back to CBD, it's very much the same when I really looked into it and I went to a hemp farm called Hempen in Oxford. I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to see how it was grown, how it was harvested. I wanted to speak to people that were working in there and, and know everything about it. If I'm going to champion something to other people, I want to know where it comes from. I want to know the origin of it and speak to people in the know. I don't pretend to be an expert myself, but I wanted to know more about it. And the people I was talking to, what I had in my head, these hemp farmers, I expected to be what I would you know, suggest is a hippie. These guys were the nicest, most genuine people who didn't match my preconceived notion of what they might be. Mm. So it is interesting, and since being vegan, I've met other people that, again, I had the same, the same as you, where I think, well, they don't look like a vegan. Mm. And I have to question myself, well, actually, neither do I, probably. And I think the stigma and, and what we perceive a vegan to be is changing anyway. It's moving from this kind of cult that we feel is a very aggressive, outspoken, animal rights-centric cult of people into an everyday lifestyle choice that people are adopting to make themselves feel better, you know, feel healthier and live a more sustainable life. Yeah, it's one of those things that I still eat. I'm going to eat healthy, but I'm going to eat decent meat, but I still eat everything. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things that I've kind of thought, what's, the, what's your poster say downstairs? It's I can't believe there used to be animals. Yeah. And I do kind of think there probably will be some point in the future where nobody does. Yeah. I think that's probably where we're heading. But the difficult thing at the moment is where, at that point where, you know, it's historically we've always eaten animals that ate meat. It's such an ingrained behaviour in our culture. You know, it's, it's much the same way where every year when this Yulin dog meat festival comes up, you know, and the posts get shared on Facebook and everyone's outraged that, you know, these people eat dogs. Mm. That same outrage that people feel for, you know, these people in different countries eating dogs people in India look at our treatment of cows and feel the same towards us. So it's, it's very much a cultural thing. I've always found that weird. Yeah. Like, how could you? How you can have... If you, the French eat horses. Yeah. That's always the thing, look down on them because they eat horses. I don't know. If you, and if you, if you break it down, and people, I think people are scared to because people are scared to approach the topic because ultimately it's going to impact their, their everyday lifestyle. And it's an inconvenience. And it's something they'd rather not know. But why would you treat a cow any different to a dog? Both sentient, both feel pain. You know, both have family structures. You know, you see these videos of calves being separated from their mothers and the mothers running after the, the calf and they're both living creatures. So why I've do we... This, so I've, had all, I've had all these things put into my head yeah. now and, I, and, they're, and they're undeniably true. You know, the, this, all this stuff about the, yeah. the forced pregnancy and the separation. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, I know it's true and it's horrible. And I think I'm, I don't know, maybe it's morally indefensible, but I'm at that point where I'm kind of thinking, yeah, I kind of know that, I'm just going to carry on. Yeah, and it's easiest to not look, but I think it's difficult. But now, you know, we have social media, we have, you know, everyone has a video phone. This information is becoming more and more into the mainstream and more and more people becoming aware of it. The difficulty is going to the supermarket and seeing it in a package mm. with a smiling cow on the front. We don't feel like we're necessarily contributing to what's actually going on. We're just buying something from the supermarket. It's, it's, it's a product, you know, it, it's not a, a, a living being. It's very different from going to the farm, killing the cow yourself and taking it home and cooking a steak. Because we're so far removed from the initial process, it is difficult to make that connection. 
One of the things that's opened my eyes a bit, as well as think, you know, being forced to think about all the awful factory farming, is listening to hunters talking. Yeah. A lot of the US podcasts, Rogan's podcast, yeah. others, they get these hunters on. And I'd grown up with this view that hunting was a sort of savage thing that mean people did, you know, and they put, they put things on the wall and stuff. When you listen to these guys who they might spend days tracking one animal, they make one clean kill, and then that animal feeds them and their family, and then they give, they're giving meat away to the poor and stuff, and killing one animal that died a better death than it would have done if it had been left at its own device, you know, they only kill whatever it is, males over a certain age. But it made me think that that is like we were when we were animals. Yeah. You know, being part of an ecosystem, killing something that lives in the world and, sure. and carrying on and leaving the environment as much as it was. But and, 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 mu and much in the same way, you know, you have cultures around the world that have access to no other food than animals. Yeah. Inuits, for example, you know, you're not, they're not growing anything there. They're not having anything shipped there. They're essentially living from the land around them, and that results in eating animals. Not that time acts as a justification for anything, but they're living how they've always lived in a controlled way that's consistent with their environment. I, I don't think the issue is with that. I think the issue is very much with industrialised agriculture, where we're essentially we're growing and we're breeding more and more animals purely for human consumption and doing so in a way that's not only damaging to the environment, damaging to the animal, but also damaging to our bodies. We're not eating an animal that's been roaming around, living naturally, eating naturally. We're eating cows that have been pumped full of all sorts of chemicals and steroids. If you look at the vast majority of beef that's consumed in the UK, it's from a female cow. And of course a female cow is pumped with female hormones. So the irony being that these big bodybuilders eating these steaks are eating female meat. It's had female hormones pumped well, into it. And add to that the fact that it's a, they're wanting to build their strength. Yeah. Whereas they're getting meat from an animal that barely does anything. Exactly. The other thing. yeah. It's got muscles from just from being engineered. Yeah. And the athlete topic is a really interesting one. And there's more and more athletes now that you're seeing that are going plant-based and talking about the impact it's having on their training. It's very much down to recovery. I mean, if you look at most sports, so the, the key to fitness is how well you recover. So plant-based protein sources aid recovery in the sense that they're not acidic. When you eat lots of meat, animal protein is very acidic. So it doesn't help the body recover fast. So you find a lot of athletes that eat a plant-based diet are able to recover quicker and increase the cardiovascular output. So now, if you look at 10 years ago, hardly anyone was, was prepared to have a discussion around the effect of plant-based diets on performance. Today, you look at a list of Premier League footballers, NBA basketball players, NFL there players. There's lots, yeah. I mean, a friend of mine, Adrian Mariapa, plays for Watford. He's 32 now, still playing at the highest level in the Premier League, been plant-based for two years. My business partner's in this restaurant, Declan Rudds, goalkeeper for Preston North End. Russell Martin was a fullback for Norwich, just left recently. Both been plant-based. Dec's been plant-based for a year. Russ has been three years, I think. And to speak to these guys, and they're all saying the comparison between before and after, they're now able to recover quicker, perform better from adopting this diet. What about eggs? I know you're yeah. entirely plant-based, but a lot of vegetarian sportsmen I've been hearing about, they say they have a few eggs as well. So though a few years ago, people turned against eggs. Yeah. Oh, too much fat in there, you know, when fat was a bad thing. Yeah. And then suddenly... I think it's, it's not necessarily that fat's a bad thing, I think saturated fats, saturated fats are bad. Cholesterol, they say, yeah. oh, don't yeah. eat too many eggs. You know, mouth suddenly, I mean, sports people eat. Tons of eggs. So I don't know if a lot of them were vegetarian apart from that. I think, and it's moving away from the, having to classify yourself as a vegan or a vegetarian, 
people are simply adopting more plant-based foods or adopting a plant-based diet for a certain amount of time in a week. What I'm finding interesting is even people that maybe eat a lot of meat, they're adopting a plant-based diet 80% of the time. And they're having maybe meat on the weekends or they're having eggs for breakfast or whatever else. So I think the awareness from a health perspective is there that whole food plant-based diets are extremely beneficial. On the names you use, you say plant-based more than vegan. I do, why, yeah. Why is that? I felt that, so the restaurant here is in Norwich. I don't have the luxury of having a central London location here where I get lots of footfall and, and lots of people that are already vegan. So we had to appeal to everyone, omnivores, you know, non-vegans, etc. People that don't necessarily consider themselves a vegan. I think the word vegan has a stigma with it. It's uh, preachy and there's this kind of this negative stigma that, that surrounds it. So putting plant-based removes that. It also, I feel, makes it more accessible for people. And it doesn't restrict us to only appealing to a vegan market. And 90% of our customers aren't vegan at all. They maybe adopt a vegan diet one day a week or a couple of days a week or even a meal a week. And it's where they come to try that. And uh, it's been interesting to see how that's played out, to be honest, because I didn't expect as many non-vegans to visit us. They've been pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, they have. And I mean, the key for this place was, it's a process of education. My intention with the restaurant is, is to educate and inspire people to consume more plant-based foods and make more ethical, sustainable food choices. Mm. If I came in and wrote a menu where nobody recognised any of the foods, I, I doubt many people would come. So we've listed you know, a pizza, a pad thai, a linguine, very accessible foods that people are familiar with, but yet we then make them with plant-based ingredients. So people don't feel like they're unfamiliar with what they're eating. And they also say, well, actually, this is easy. I can make this at home. So what sort of thing that they might recognise the name, but it's... So, for example, we have a, a jackfruit korma. It's cashew jackfruit korma. So it's essentially a, a regular korma, obviously no milk. And we use jackfruit, which is a fruit which has a texture similar to pulled pork. And, that, and that's a great conversation. Oh, what's jackfruit? Where can I buy it from? And, of course, we recommend people where, where they can buy it from, how they can use it at home. Because I understand people aren't going to eat here every day, but it's a way... As with the cafe, when people order smoothies, we give them a card and it shows what the ingredients are, what they're good for, how they can be used, and we sell the same ingredients here. So it's enabling people to continue their journey at home, yeah. away from here as well. So it's not kind of an exclusive thing, because you get this feeling with veganism that it's, yeah. a, bit of a, it's a bit of a cult. It's a cult, yeah, of oh. course, of course. And, it's, and you know, that, that was probably what put me off. In, in, in the first place where I adopted a plant-based diet, but I didn't want to tell everyone I was vegan. It's open yourself up to people thinking you're part of a cult and, and, yeah. and, and everything that goes with it. But I also think it's restrictive in the sense that if you position yourself as a vegan, you get people's backs up straight away. Whereas if you say you're plant-based, people don't have the same, uh, same negative perception of it. So you started for health reasons, yeah. and then did you think about the ethical stuff afterwards or is it something you thought about in your back of mind and done that? You know what, I was, it was purely for health reasons, yeah. I couldn't have cared less, I've never been an animal person. At that point it was very selfish, I thought about myself, mm. that was it. And I, I did it purely for my own health reasons. Five, six months in, as I learned more about it, I then looked at the impact my food choices were having uh, on the environment, on animals, and I went from being this kind of head down, head in the sand, or I'll ignore it type guide to being, well, actually, you know, this is really important. But I also was, was appreciative of the fact that perhaps people didn't want to be preached to. So I actually gave a talk at a vegan festival 
called Vevolution, and I it was a talk on on business and how to set up a vegan business, vegan business, and how I felt business was a was a tool to to encourage more people to adopt a vegan diet. And I got asked to give the same talk at London School of Economics, and they also asked me to give a talk on veganism, and that was the first time I'd really thought about how I would approach it. And I thought if I stand up here and I tell everyone that what they're doing is wrong, which is why people think vegans are preachy because they condemn other people's lifestyle choices. That I wouldn't be listened to. So I took the approach of this is what we're all, this is what we're all uh, participating in. The reason is because this is what we've been led to believe by doctors, by our parents, by whatever else. This is actually what goes on. And here's simple steps that you can take if you wish to to learn more about it or, or to adopt it. So one day a week, amazing. Going pescatarian, brilliant. Going vegetarian, excellent. Where traditionally vegans are, well, if you're wearing leather shoes, and that's terrible, even if you're eating a vegan diet. You know, it's... it's, it's Apparently the worst thing you can do is become a vegan and then renounce your faith. Apparently that's when they really... Oh, yeah, you, you can... If you become a vegan and then decide to, be, to, to go back, that's then, what, you're, then you're worse than someone yeah, it's, 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 really. it's, I think it's. I think it's this, the attitude of, you know, you can forgive someone for being ignorant of what they don't know, but when someone's aware yeah. of it and then goes back... You, I have leather shoes that I bought five years ago when I wasn't vegan. I'm not going to throw them away, I'm still going to wear them. <laughs> yeah, right? So I made the mistake of going to a... I went to VegFest wearing a pair of leather shoes, which, mm. yeah, which is the, what you don't do. Oh. Yeah, like, I got people shout at me, you know, and I think, well... And, but that's, what did happen? Oh, someone, put, someone shouted at me and I, and I invited them to have a conversation about it. And I said, look, you know, if you want more people to go vegan, which ultimately is the goal of people that are vegan, to spread the message and help more people go vegan so that, you know, so that the world essentially becomes vegan, you need to be more tolerant of people who are trying to make a change. So if somebody's going vegan one day a week, if somebody's gone vegan but still wears leather, you know, don't look at it as hypocrisy. Look at it, that person's made a change and needs to be supported. I guess it's what I guess it's where their priorities really lie because you get the impression that the most important thing is their veganism. The next most important thing is the welfare of the animals, rather than the other way around. Yeah, and that's what that's what you find with people that've been vegan for a long time. And again, not everyone. I'm I'm not suggesting that everybody's like that, but some of the resistance that I've had in speaking out about veganism and essentially using myself as a, as a tool to engage more men in particular on, on how they can adopt a vegan lifestyle and normalise it, if you, if you like, is from people that have been vegan for 15, 20 years, oh, it was so hard for us and now it's easy for everyone because of how popular it is, you do get a sense of that they've got this kind of bee in their bonnet about... I was a vegan when it was, I've been when a, it was difficult. When it was difficult. Yeah, and, we didn't you know, have the internet then. And, and when, you know, oh, everyone's going vegan because it's a trend. Well, great. You know, surely, <laughs> if, surely if you're motivated by the, by the plight of... Aww. Surely if you're motivated by the plight of animals and the environment, the more people that go vegan, the better, instead of trying to treat it as this... You're, this you're only going vegan because you think it's the right thing to do. How could you? Rather than looking at the bigger picture, you know, yeah. and which is... Which is the problem with it in the first place is why people laugh at it is because you have people that are still being incredibly preachy and not allowing it to be simple for people to adopt. Yeah. But it's changing, you know, it is becoming mainstream, it is, it is, it is being normalised and you are seeing mainstream restaurants have vegan menus now, you're seeing it featuring the press regularly um, and people are becoming more more aware of, of, of the foods they eat and where they come from, which I think is great. You've seen it with the recent plastic campaign, for example. Ditch the straw. Mm. They'll still eat fish, but they want to ditch the straw. But <laughs> I, I, 
I did a piece of work on this recently and I learned things that I just hadn't, if you think about it, it's obvious, but you never, you never have until someone's pointed out to you that about plastic on the beaches. This idea that you turn up on some undiscovered beach and it's all beautiful, like desert island kind of thing. This guy saying that, that they don't exist anywhere in the world. If you see a beautiful beach, it's because you've paid to go there on holiday and that the money you've paid has had paid for the beach to be regularly cleaned up. But if you go somewhere on some undiscovered island, everything's strewn with it's a case of, It's a case of conscious consumption, isn't it? We, we only think of ourselves in the equation. When you go into a shop, you buy a plastic water bottle, you drink it, you throw it in the bin. Because we're not being educated on what happens thereafter, with where it doesn't affect us at all in doing it we've not made the connection we're not connecting the fact that in you know 30 years that plastic bottle will still be there and there's only so long we can sustain throwing those items away what needs to happen is as opposed to to kind of yes educate the individual person but look at the bigger picture what are the what are the other options is there plant-based plastics that we can use yes is there more sustainable packaging we can use yes solve the problem from that side of things but also educate the individual and say look Look at the effect that what you're doing is having. Here's another choice that's just as affordable, just as convenient, and this is why you should make that choice. So there's lots of moving cogs that, 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 come, in, that come into play, and it's part of what we're trying to do here is, we've, you know, we've got cans of water, for example. We've got the vegware, which is biodegradable. So it's, again, having a conversation with people when they're purchasing and letting them know, you know, what the impact is they're having and, and encourage them. Thank you for buying that. This, this, this is what we're trying to do with this. So Birmingham House here in Norwich is quite new, a few months, you said? Four months, Four yeah. Months old. And what's the plan? Are you, would you plan to open other restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently, probably, apparently running a restaurant is a very easy way to uh, it's, they, it's never, the most, they never fail. It's the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it's the most stressful. I think especially when you're doing something that's quite niche, it's new, it's different. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, you know, I, I love having the conversation near enough every day with people and I, I, I'm on the floor, I do front of house and I get to speak to people and, you know, I'm hearing, seeing all different types of people. Oh, we went vegan for, in January for Veganuary and we've st stuck to it and we're in our 50s and we've lost this much weight and we feel better or, you know, all different kinds of people, which, which, is, which is great. Um, I'm opening a restaurant in London in November. Um, slightly different concept, more kind of grab and go central London location because again there's not a huge amount uh, available in central London but the demand is, 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 is massive. So opening there uh, and it's just, yeah, I'm, it's trying to find the time to fit it all in and do, and do it, execute it to a proper level. So yeah, I think sticking, sticking with these ones for now and then further down the line, seeing where else we, we can take it. The, the goal is to impact as many people as possible. Um, it's not to force everyone to be vegan, but it's, it's to educate people on the importance of putting good things in their body and how that plays out in their mental and physical health. I think it's just that, isn't it? It's making these decisions like, is what you're doing regularly over and over again, are you doing things that are bad for you? And they tend to, I think the things, they tend to be the same. If they're bad for you, they're going to be, you know, there's a big link between what's bad for you and what's bad for the wider yeah, world. Yeah, of you course. Know, you're eating stuff that's made a horrible journey towards your stomach, you know, chopped and diced and added God knows what to it. And, you know, yeah, I think the more you kind of make all your choices positive, sounds a bit and, and, and it, But it's also, it's, also a case of, it's also a case of, you know, in moderation. I'm not saying that everyone has to be vegan overnight. I'm saying, look, you know, 
maybe four days a week, five days a week, or two out of three meals a day. Make a different choice and see, the, see how it feels for you, see how it works for your body. And I think if everyone actually knew what went on, you know, and how the food got to their plate in the case of animal proteins and, 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 and such, we'd, we'd start to think about different choices. But it's also on the flip side of that, it's having the choices available to make, thus the restaurant, you know. The case was that I was living in London, coming back to Norwich, telling my parents and friends about this amazing vegan diet that I was on. And I was like, okay, take us somewhere. Where do, we, where do we go? There wasn't anywhere here. So it's having these options for people so that they can live it out. Because we, you know, we prioritise convenience, we prioritise price, we, we prioritise you know, things being uh, easy and access to information and being simple for us. So until those things are in place, it's hard for people to adopt them and make changes. Even now, if I, go, if I drive, drive back down to London, pull into the petrol station and I'm just, I've not eaten for hours, there's no options. Everything has butter in it, cheese in it, or, or meat in it. You know, so, so to someone else who doesn't have the same, isn't as far down the line as me, it's easy just to grab a cheese sandwich and count that one out. It's up to us as consumers and businesses to make more options available so it's easy for people. Yeah, well, it's a lovely place and, you know, wish you best of luck with it. And thanks so much I appreciate for it. to me, Louis Blake at Irving House. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Beast. Erpingham House can be found at Erpingham House. That's E-R-Pinghamhouse.com. It's Erpingham House on Instagram. Thanks to Louis Blake, who is at Louis, L-O-U-I, Blake, B-L-A-K-E, dot com. And he's Louis underscore Blake at Instagram. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.